0: The following program is a paid advertisement. The views reflected on this show are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000. Doctor? Doctor?
1: Doctor?
2: Doctor? 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 Doctor?
0: You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000.
2: And we're back again. Good morning, everyone, for another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. My name is Steve Cashel. In a few minutes, I'll be joined by my co-host, Dr. Brian Cole, head team physician for the Chicago Bulls, sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, Rush University Medical Center. Among the topics in today's program, we will visit with ATI Physical Therapist Katie Varnado. She is the Midwest Director of Sports Medicine, talking about the need for high school athletic trainers. Dr. Cole works so closely with so many athletic trainers in the high school, college, and professional side. And we'll talk about why all high schools do not have athletic trainers and what's being done to uh, try to rectify that. And then we're going to talk a little bit uh, about helmet safety. Uh, In baseball and softball and the various sports, we've got an athletic trainer from Athletico joining us, Sam Cochran. She'll be in studio with us talking about the benefits of a properly fitted helmet. You'll find out some things that uh, Dr. Cole and I did not know about the How to properly fit a helmet, and some of the key aspects parents should look for when buying a helmet for their athletes. And should they use them if they're used, cracked, or broken? So, a lot to do on this week's show. It's Sports Medicine Weekly. Our website is sportsmedicineweekly.com. I'm back with Dr. Cole after this on ESPN Radio.
3: lines, videos, and other surprises. You will absolutely love this program. Sign up at 14daytransformation.com. That's the numbers 14daytransformation.com, or visit Karen's website at karenmalkin.com. That's K-A-R-E-N-M-A-L-K-I-N.com.
0: You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000.
2: Welcome back, everyone, on the Saturday morning. Sports Medicine Weekly, Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole. Dr. Cole, I know we're going to uh, talk about the need for high school athletic trainers. That's a uh, warm spot in your heart, isn't it?
4: Well, we've been working with athletic trainers for so long, and that's probably been my closest relationship in the whole medical team that manages athletes. I mean, it goes... Back to when I was a fellow at University of Pittsburgh where we uh, I worked with a guy named Rob Blank, who's now 30 years as an th- the head athletic trainer for the uh, University of Pittsburgh football team. Pitt Panthers. Yep, and uh, I used to cover Friday night and Saturday football games, just travel with the team. It was a really awesome experience, but that's where I learned the importance. And I can tell you since then, virtually every athlete relationship I have has an athletic trainer somewhere in the mix. And they're really our front lines, as I've said before, super critical part of the team, and they're the ones who are always there, they're always present. They give up an awful lot. They're, uh, I think, people uh, don't know uh, half of what they have to commit to, and they're, they're often not appreciated. But the time they spend Friday games, nighttime games, you know, being available basically twenty four seven to you know, athletes who have these injuries is a, is a really big deal and it's an enormous commitment.
2: And you work with the Chicago Bulls and White Sox. How important are the athletic trainers at uh, those professional franchises?
4: You know, it's, it's interesting. There, the, 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 there's, a, there's a deep dialogue going on and sort of who the decision makers are and should it be the sports medicine physician and what's the role of the administration and the athletic director and the coaching staff and everything else. But it's always been my opinion that the athletic trainer has to be sort of the – the the hub of uh, all those spokes that uh, for the for the medical team we're often quarterbacks in managing some of the care. But nothing replaces being there all the time and seeing how things evolve and being able to evaluate these athletes on the field is, which is something they often have the unique opportunity to do. So, it's as I say, it's the most important
2: member of our of our team. So, uh, and we've enjoyed a really long, solid relationship working with them. Katie Varnado is our guest, the Midwest Director of Sports Medicine with ATI out of Bolingbrook, Illinois. And Katie, thanks so much for for joining us uh, talking more about uh, athletic trainers and the need for high school athletic trainers. What exactly, Katie, uh, in your opinion, is an athletic trainer and how do high school athletic trainers differ from, uh, from those in college or as Dr. Cole and I were talking about the professional setting?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Um, athletic trainers are allied healthcare professionals. Um, they specialize in the prevention, emergency care, diagnosing and treating rehabbing injuries that go along with sports issues. Um, They're certified by a national governing body and they're licensed, so they're true healthcare professionals. Um, In terms of differences between collegiate athletic trainers or professional athletic trainers, as Dr. Cole works with, there's There's some differences, but also not a lot, right? In terms of their education, um, everybody has to have at least a minimum of a bachelor's degree um, from an accredited uh, program, as well as get certified um, by the national governing body and and get licensed in their state. Um, A lot of us, over 70%, have master's degrees. And in fact, um, the profession is changing its minimum education requirement to be a master's degree to kind of reflect, you know, what is actually going on in the profession. Um, Other than that, it really, you know, in my mind, comes down to specializations, right? If you're, you know, working with the Chicago White Sox or the Chicago Cubs as an athletic trainer, you're probably taking a lot of continuing education and specializations towards the overhead-throwing athletes, whereas in a high school setting, you're working with multiple different sports so you're taking courses and continuing to grow your skills um, in a lot of different areas because not only do you deal with overhead throwing athletes, you're dealing with gymnasts and you're dealing with football players. And so you have to be able to understand all the complex issues um, that go along with each athlete and the demands of each sport.
2: And talking, Katie, about the need for high school athletic trainers, uh, why don't all high schools have athletic trainers?
1: That is a really good question and something that I'm very passionate about. Um, A large part of my role with ATI, um, from a sports medicine standpoint, we have over 250 um, affiliates that we work with, high schools, colleges, club teams, where we provide athletic training services um, to those organizations. And in working with schools that don't have athletic trainers currently and who are trying to get one, there's really two things that kind of always come up or are the roadblocks. Um, and they kind of go hand in hand. The first one is really just the lack of awareness of the vital role that athletic trainers play um, in the health and safety of their student athletes. You know, if they're not, you know, aware that we are there for injury prevention and risk management, you know, should there be a potentially catastrophic incident or somebody go down with a cardiac incident, you know, they don't understand how beneficial we can be. Um, So the first one is really just you know, being able to educate people and that lack of awareness that somebody, you know, some stakeholder within the organization probably doesn't understand the importance of it. And then the second one is budgetary, right? We know, you know, the state of Illinois and where where we are from a budgeting standpoint. And, you know, talking with high schools all the time, you know, those athletic departments, their budgets are getting cut. And so for them to try to find money to put towards, athletic training services especially when they don't necessarily understand the importance of it um, it kind of is a revolving circle that we're working to educate people on and work with them to figure out how we can make sure that those athletes are being protected and are safe while they're playing their sport.
4: You know I remember when I was at uh, the hospital for special surgery in New York we used to cover these games these, these inner city high schools and it was a time where like First aid was basically a pay phone and, a, and an ice pack, you know. there was nothing. Mm-hmm. And then there was some legislation and increased coverage and so forth. And, you know, when we started at Midwest Orthopedics, we had an athletic trainers program where we sort of provided outreach to the schools and so forth. And it was, you know, kind of a quid pro quo because we were working with the schools. We would manage the athletes when injured, but the athletic trainers would be our front lines. And, you know, honestly, it became an economic issue where it just didn't add up. And I'm curious, uh, obviously, the, the uh, ATI, you know, you guys plant athletic trainers and offer job sharing and so forth. And that's been actually pretty effective, I think, right, where you can provide a trainer even part-time and then they you fill their hours with other activities. I've had athletic trainers in my office who have high school responsibilities, and that's been one model that seems to be economically more effective. And, and the other thing is, and, you know, you know, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that, and the other thing is you wonder if there should be more outreach to the parents of these schools so they understand the importance of having a trainer there for their, for their kids uh, and who's an immediate resource. It's a lot more than a school nurse, you know. So you wonder if yeah. you got the parents engaged because obviously the schools, as you pointed out, have limited budgets and it's only getting tighter and it's much worse than the public schools. Uh, but I would think that parents, you know, if you look at the number of athletes and, you know, like it or not, the salary of an athletic trainer is not, is not a huge number. And, um, uh, you right. know, and I think grossly you guys are underpaid, quite frankly, and I'm sure you would probably agree, but it is what it is. <laughs> Absolutely. <You know? laughs> so the issue is, you know, um, it, does it make a business case model that's still, fa- you know, favorable if you do job sharing? And, you know, and then secondly, do you think there's a role to maybe get the parents involved?
1: Um, yes to both you know we've had a lot of success working with the um, high schools that we work with because we are you know if they're a smaller high school and maybe they don't need someone there full-time um, they can have all their practices and events and games covered maybe with 25 hours a week of service well we can you know they can pay for their portion and as you said we can find other things for our athletic trainers to do whether it be treating in the clinic or working with a physician those type of things um, additionally a lot of a lot of high schools like to work with companies such as ATI um, because while we might not ask them to pay the entire salary and benefits right we know that by being in the schools and working with those athletes and truly outreaching and providing our services um, it gives our name out there in the communities and there's there's value to that and so while we look at it as they're paying for the whole thing because those marketing components add value. Um, the school doesn't have to pay the entire dollar amount, which, um, which they tend to like because, you know, salary and benefits when they're looking at getting budget cuts is, you know, is, well, while you said, right, we're, we don't make what we should, um, it's still a lot for them to come up with. Um, and then I 100% agree with you on the parent aspect. Um, that is probably mobilizing parents. Um, is the biggest way because a lot of times the coaches understand the need and even the athletic directors of the programs understand and are trying to work with us to, you know, have services provided. But it's usually, you know, either somebody um, in a district office or maybe the people on the board of education um, just don't see the value in it. And you know, the Board of Education is responsible to the taxpayer. And if you have all those parents saying, hey, we pay taxes in the school district and we want our athletes protected, now, they need this care and these services should they be playing sports. Um, that, that is a large, um, a large motivator, right? If, if they have the right people, of course I'm going to say you need athletic training services. I'm an athletic trainer, right? Um, but to have the parents be the advocates for their children um, is, is vital.
2: She's the Midwest Director of Sports Medicine for ATI Physical Therapy, Katie Arnato. Katie, great stuff. Appreciate you joining us here on Sports Medicine Weekly.
1: Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.
2: All righty. All the best moving forward. And I'm back with Dr. Brian Cole after these messages. On ESPN Radio. I've been having knee
0: pain for quite some time and did what probably a lot of people do i just ignored it and hoped it would go away after a month i couldn't take the pain anymore i went to my family orthopedic he told me that i needed physical therapy when i received my prescription for therapy the first thing i did was search pt companies online i came across ati physical therapy it's close to home has some great reviews and when i called they verified my insurance scheduled me right away no wait everything was so easy and the staff was great they kept my doctor informed of my progress along the way Honestly, I look forward to going to my appointments. ATI made me feel like my recovery was their most important priority. I'd recommend them to anyone needing physical therapy. The experience was something I'll never forget. To learn more about what it's like to be a patient at ATI Physical Therapy, visit ATIPT.com and start your journey to get back to your best today. ATIPT. Cutting edge research, diagnosis, methods, and treatments make them the highest ranked program in the state of Illinois by U.S. News and World Report rankings. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit them at rushortho.com or call 877 MDBones. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, when only the best will do. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000.
2: Net proceeds from our program, Sports Medicine Weekly. Go to support orthopedic research at Rush through the liveactivenow.org fund. Our producer is Steve Goffman. Our coordinating producer, Teresa Ann Seeger. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole. This is Sports Medicine Weekly. And uh, Dr. Cole, let's talk a little bit about, um, I want to talk about sprains and elbows. We know that Dwayne Wade had a sprain and a small fracture in the elbow. Uh, and is out for the uh, regular season for the Bulls. But um, let's talk a little bit, if we can, uh, the differences between and similarities, uh, sprains and elbows between baseball players and basketball players.
4: You know, the difference is that basketball is really a collision sport, right? So when you think about it, they don't get sort of overuse injuries, chronic, long-standing, repetitive injury to ligaments and so forth like we see in baseball. Baseball is sort of a lifelong stress and you think about what we call the angular velocity, you know, during the throw. The forces across the elbow, especially the inner side of the elbow in baseball, are probably some of the f- highest forces that the body will see anywhere in the body across the small ligaments in the elbow. So the difference is that baseball players may have long standing sort of almost degenerative changes, sort of overuse changes that lead to compromise of these ligaments, that in in actuality, if it was a single event, that would be sort of the definition of a sprain, which is sort of a microscopic tear kind of thing. That's really what sprains are. But baseball is long-standing overuse, and then something can give way uh, with even, you know, low-energy trauma. Difference between that and, say, basketball or football is that there's often a single traumatic event that leads to these injuries. So the reality is that... uh, these, in baseball players, when they happen in their high-grade sprains, they often require reconstructions. In basketball or football, they rarely require reconstructions as a sprain. They actually heal very well because the biology is so good. So the more, it's it's kind of counterintuitive, but the more significant the trauma in the absence of any previous problems, the more likely it is to heal spontaneously. In, a, in contrast to baseball where it's long-standing overuse, throwing, huge forces across the elbow, they don't necessarily heal spontaneously. And when they finally give, they often require surgery to get better. So those are sort of the two fundamental sides of the spectrum. And in
2: baseball, we're so used to seeing the Tommy John surgery. That's the ulnar collateral ligament, correct?
4: Yeah, and I can tell you for you know virtually every baseball player I've ever operated on, those are not typically acute changes. In other words, sudden. They may have sudden onset of symptoms, but they have often had longstanding standing Abnormalities. And if you had the you know the the ability to look at those ligaments under the microscope, they would never be normal and they would never look like a basketball player's elbow, for example, their ligaments, because they've been exposed to such high repetitive stress and high high force. You know, but most of these other collision athletes live with pretty normal looking tissue, except maybe patella 10 and Achilles 10 and things like that. But when they have these odd sprains and so forth. They just take on a, a different dimension, but the good news is they generally heal pretty predictably.
2: And Dr. Cole, can you tell us um, what the Tommy John surgery is? What what happens?
4: Yeah, so you know, this is now talking about baseball players. Tommy yeah. John was obviously, you know, uh, a, 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 an amazing player that uh, whose numbers went up exponentially. And it was it was uh, Dr. Job who had the foresight, uh, you know, where he was having issues with the elbow, and no one really had the uh, uh, intuition and was willing to take the chance to restore that ligament on the inner side of the elbow, which provides stability. And uh, when it goes, the player can't throw at any, you know, high level velocity and loses their accuracy. And it's usually very painful. And, and, and there was a time where that was just the end of an individual's career, Uh, but had the foresight to the late Dr. Job uh, had the foresight to reconstruct it and ended up going back and playing And uh, sort of set the stage for what now has become one of the most common elbow injuries that we see in in, uh, Major League Baseball. And unfortunately, we're seeing in younger and younger populations. We've had a number of publications from Midwest Orthopedics discussing the incidents, how Play is compromised before they have surgery, and how many of these athletes, you know, better than eighty percent of them can actually get back uh, predictably in this time frame, depending on their position, between say eight and twelve months, uh, to very high levels of play. In fact, levels of play that exceed their play prior to their the injury that took them out. You know, it's funny. You sometimes have parents who say, "Look." Uh, so-and-so had a Tommy John operation and is throwing and playing better than they did before they injured, right? So can you just fix my kid's elbow? Uh, And, you know, it's it's almost laughable, but what they don't understand is that People. Even though they're not injured, exactly dads well, or parents right. will
2: go and say, "We want to pick up more velocity. Yeah, exactly. Do the Tommy John yeah, surgery. Exactly. My son will pick up more yeah, velocity." and That's right. such a falsehood. Yeah, because right?
4: the reason they're compromised is because you know the, the reason these athletes get better is because they were having long standing problems. Sort of my point before, you know, they were having long standing sort of what we call attritional problems that ultimately lead to a breaking point, and that's a lot different than what we see in other sports. So uh, it's 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 just you know unfortunately it's a misunderstanding and misperception.
2: Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole. So, every ligament is it, is, that, is every ligament attached to a bone?
4: Yeah, ligaments by definition attach bone to bone. Okay. So uh, to, And I know we're on radio yeah. here, but I'm
2: trying to think here, even yeah, though know, so, I stick out my arm here on, on while we're in, in the studio, but I'm, I'm picturing the ulnar collateral ligaments. Yeah. And is it a long ligament that goes down to no, your it's hands? It's very short. Oh, it's okay, incredibly short.
4: It's not very strong. And uh, uh, it's very short. It has two major bundles to it, and it's on the inner side of the elbow right by your funny bone. And there's also one on the outside called the radial collateral ligament, which is also very small and fortunately gets injured much less, but has dramatic consequences if it gets injured. So ligaments connect bone to bone. So like the ACL, that's a ligament, anterior cruciate ligament. That connects the tibia to the femur to prevent it from translating. The ulnar collateral ligament on the inside of the elbow uh, prevents uh, the elbow, the arm, the forearm from going to the outside and stabilizes it, especially during, if you think about late cocking phase and throwing, maximal stresses go on the inside of the elbow. It, prote- it, it sort of protects that so it keeps things intact, if you will. But thus the stress? Yes, but thus the stress, exactly. Yes,
2: okay. So, Dr. Cole, how is the ulnar collateral ligament then repaired? Is it replaced or repaired?
4: Well, there's a, there's an interesting phase now where people are advocating primary repair of some of these, and then using some device to augment it or splint that repair, and saying that uh, maybe we can get these athletes back to play sooner. It's an interesting body of science that's we're getting increased um, uh, play. Uh, and we've had a couple of, of uh, players that have actually gone back fairly quickly after this new technique. That being said, the standard still, most common operation still, is a reconstruction where the assumption is the tissue is not high quality, so we take a tendon from the wrist, basically, we make a small incision at the wrist crease, wow. and we use that as sort of a weave to reconstruct the ligament. And actually, that is much stronger than what we started out with. And it is amazing that the operation works, but it actually works very, very well. You know, there, it's it's rare that an athlete either re tears it or it doesn't get back, but it, it does happen just given the nature of the sport. But it works surprisingly well. There are some instances where individuals don't have that tendon in the wrist; it's an anomaly. Uh, at least. 15 percent. So sometimes we're taking it from the knee, a hamstrings tendon, and in some cases we're even using donor tendons.
2: Okay and then how long is a player shut down after having the Tommy John surgery?
4: You know typically it's there's they broken down into phases and it's three or four phases and uh, uh, the first phase is a protection phase which is usually a, a, a splint a hinged elbow brace, which could be six, eight weeks, 12 weeks. And then they go into a throwing program, which can carry them through between, you know, what's interesting, if you, depending on what type of athlete, I've had gymnasts who can get back at six months uh, because it's a structural thing. I've, we've had collision athletes get back in four to six-month time frames. But when you're a thrower to get your accuracy, your velocity back, it takes inexorably longer. It's not that the ligament isn't strong enough necessarily at four to six months, But to get everything back after being shut down to properly recondition and rehabilitate and get your skill set back, that's why it takes so much longer. So it's it's less about the structure than it is about the athlete resuming his or her sport around that ligament. I know
2: we never suggest getting the Tommy John surgery unless you actually have the injury. However, are there studies that show that people who do have the injury and have the Tommy John surgery can pick up velocity?
4: You know, I guess it depends upon when you measure that velocity. You know, I mean, I think if they, the problem is, mo- many of these guys, as I mentioned, have decreasing statistics with
2: the p- injury, with
4: sort of this occult low-level problem. Yeah, right. As a baseball player, and then what happens is they just get pushed to the brink, and then it, and then it, and then they get to the point where they can't throw. So you're comparing it to poor numbers to begin with,
2: Dr. Brian Cole orthopedic surgeon. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, I'm Steve Cashel also want to get to into before we uh, end this segment any updates in regenerative medicine, including stem cells. Steve,
4: we've had you know a lot of options that have come on the scene. One uh, category has been the use of amniotic tissue. Uh, which is donor tissue? Um, uh, it's it's allograft tissue. We've talked about that a lot in the show, and uh, basically it is a way to provide us a, a rich source of growth factors. So we just completed a clinical trial using amniotic injections for osteoarthritis. The amniotic fluid with That's the right. babies, right? That's right. It's just, there's there's amniotic fluid. There's using the chorion, which is you know the the wrap that the baby is you know basically born in. That's the, yeah. the amnion, and uh, we. We have uh, different sources of stem cells now. We have a system that can use fat from the abdomen uh, just through using liposuction that we're starting to become really interested in because there's wow. some data that shows it can be used to treat arthritis. And then we have bone marrow aspirate, which is becoming increasingly common. We have a really terrific study that's about halfway done in rotator cuff repair. Uh, where we're augmenting rotator cuff repairs to reduce retear rates using stem cells. And then that comes from the patient's own body, where we stick a needle in the, in the pelvis area and drop blood and spit it down. And then finally, uh, we're looking at some really interesting ways to augment surgical procedures of the knees, such as patients undergoing meniscus surgery adding in stem cells and also the time of cartilage transplant. So we've become increasingly interested. We're still performing active research in the area, but we have newer sources now, including fat and amniotic tissue, of growth factors, not necessarily always stem cells, but rich sources of growth factors that can be used to treat chronic longstanding conditions um, like arthritis, but also to help uh, improve the outcomes of existing procedures like rotator cuff repair, possibly ACL reconstruction, meniscal tears, and things like that. So really exciting times.
2: And so you doctors at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, it's kind of a fun way to, uh, to think about things, right? These yeah. studies and the future of sports yeah. medicine. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, isn't I it exciting?
4: You, it's exciting because, you know, I can tell you my office has become far more interesting. Patients are coming in very knowledgeable. Unfortunately, sometimes with misperceptions of what we can do because it's not necessarily always regenerative tissue. In other words, regenerative medicine, re, you know, recreating new tissue, but rather inhibiting inflammation and so forth is uh, and reducing pain. So we're modifying symptoms but not always creating new tissue. And that's the one thing patients have to understand, and I've always talked about that. But it's exciting because we now have many, many ways to help patients avoid surgery or at least potentially delay it, which makes it particularly exciting even as a surgeon.
2: And some patients come in because they're aware of PRP and they yeah. might ask, you for a procedure. Yep,
4: yeah, that's all true, you know, but I spend we spend most of our time now talking educating people, of, people. Educating and talking them out of surgery rather than into surgery.
2: Wonderful stuff. Dr. Brian Cole. I'm Steve Cashel. Stay with us. Hope you're enjoying Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN Radio.
0: Returning patients who suffer from cartilage defects to an active lifestyle is the goal. Prochondrix, the latest solution from Allosource, is an innovative, cost-effective fresh cartilage allograft designed to restore cartilage and restore life. To learn more about Prochondrix or allografts, visit Prochondrix.org. That's P-R-O-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-X.org.
2: We're excited to announce our new Sports Medicine Weekly custom podcast app on iTunes. It's all free. Just go to the App Store, search for Sports Medicine Weekly. Our app gives listeners easy access to their favorite Sports Medicine Weekly shows without getting lost in confusing screens and pop-up ads. The team at Sports Medicine Weekly is dedicated to delivering content to our listeners on the latest in fitness, nutrition, injury prevention, and and treatment optimize your performance with the sports medicine weekly app as always we thank our loyal listening and social media followers The best athletes in the world and their medical teams have been trusting Donjoy products for over 30
0: years. With a goal to protect and return confidence in sport post-injury, Donjoy is the trusted leader to get and keep athletes in action. Whether it's football, basketball, soccer, volleyball, or even the official medical supplier to the U.S. ski team, always trust the global leader in sports medicine. Trust Donjoy, a product of DJOglobal.com.
3: That's one way to end up on injured reserve. So is... Falling off a ladder, lifting something heavy. Ow, that's not good. Or having an accident at work. Uh-oh. Athletico helps all kinds of people come back from injured reserve. Schedule a free injury screening at athletico.com and find out how physical therapy can decrease pain and discomfort, increase strength and mobility, and help you get back to doing the things you love to do. Athletico Physical Therapy, better for everybody.
2: You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. Sports Medicine Weekly has been brought to you by Athletico Physical Therapy, by Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, by Karen Malkin Health Counseling, by Integrated Orthopedics, by L Source, by DonJoy Orthopedics, by Midwest, and by ATI Physical Therapy. Many thanks to our producer and board operator George Katsarilos. Our coordinating producer is Teresa Ann Seeger. We also want to thank David Cole for managing the website and our business operations, as well as Samantha Smith from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel saying so long. Thanks for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly here on ESPN 1000. The preceding program was a paid advertisement.
0: The views reflected are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000.